beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We commemorate the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ arose from the dead and ascended into heaven. That's where he now reigns as the King of Kings at the right hand of God the Father in heavenly glory. And from there, he also poured out the Holy Spirit to solidify his bond with his followers and to equip them for their task in this world. The Apostle Peter testified to this on the day of Pentecost. We read in the second chapter of the book of Acts that the followers of Jesus Christ had gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. A crowd gathered, bewildered by the sound, and even more so by hearing the followers of Jesus Christ speak in other languages. When some began to mock, suggesting that those speaking in tongues were filled with new wine, Peter stood up and addressed the multitude. He explained that what happened was a fulfillment of words spoken centuries earlier. As prophesied by Joel, this was a sign of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus of Nazareth, crucified by the Jews, arose from the dead and ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, as foretold by David. This Jesus declared Peter, God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. And being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And Peter then drove home the following point of his message. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. He has poured out the Holy Spirit and now calls the peoples of the world to acknowledge him as the King, the long-promised Messiah. And he wants us to let this truth shape our thinking and our actions. Do what you can to show others that you belong to him. And be prepared to let others know who he is. And to join in honoring him as king. <clears throat> and so we come to the theme for this morning, which is be strong in the Lord. And we'll focus on two points, trust in his strength, and secondly, in his faithfulness. Be strong in the Lord, trust in his strength, and secondly, in his faithfulness. Have you ever felt that you're actually a pretty weak Christian? Have you been disappointed in your own setbacks and failures? Have you been discouraged by your sins and sinfulness? 
You're not the only one to feel like this. Good intentions and strong resolutions are not enough to help us in our struggles. Scripture is full of examples of the weaknesses of God's people. Even so-called heroes of the faith have had their weak moments. Think of what the Bible tells us about Abraham, the father of all believers. He had his doubts and weaknesses. Think of David, who committed adultery with Bathsheba. God enabled King Solomon to become one of the wisest men on earth. We read in 1 Kings 3, verse 3, that Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. He was instrumental in building the temple in Jerusalem. And nevertheless, his wisdom did not keep him from committing all sorts of sins. He married foreign wives. And when he grew older, they led him into worshiping other gods. In the New Testament, we read about the Apostle Peter, who denied his master three times. And that was not the only time that Peter's weaknesses came to light. Are we any better? The Apostle John reminds us in 1 John 1 verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And nevertheless, we're called to fight the good fight of the faith. Our text is an expression of that call. Finally, be strong in the Lord. That's a call to be ready for battle. Think of a general striding before his troops, preparing them for what lies ahead. He wants them to be brave and to stand strong. What sort of things can he say to them? Will he speak of the justice of their cause? Will he reassure them of their strength in the face of a weaker enemy? Paul doesn't speak in general terms about fighting for a just cause. He makes no reference to any strengths that those reading his letters might have. He commands them to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The language that Paul uses in our text has Old Testament overtones. It reminds us, for example, of how the Lord God himself once commanded Joshua to be strong and courageous. Joshua became commander of the Israelites after Moses died. It would be his task to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. Imagine how Joshua would have felt about that. The Israelites were not an easy people to deal with. They didn't have a very good track record. Think of why they spent decades wandering about in the desert after their first disastrous attempt to enter the promised land. How would they avoid another abysmal failure? Success would only be possible with the Lord at his side. Only that would enable him to be strong and courageous. And the Lord therefore promised Joshua, I will be with you. That was good news for him and 
for all the people he was leading. With God at their side, success would be assured. The victories that the Lord promises do involve the activity of faith. The Israelites would have to go into battle. That would be the only way to gain the victory over their enemies and to take possession of the land that God would give them. The battle that Paul calls us to wage is a spiritual one. This battle has been waged since the beginning of history. It will continue till the end of time. And the Lord God himself made this clear after Adam and Eve fell into sin. The devil had shown himself to be their enemy. He had deceived the woman into taking the forbidden fruit in paradise. Adam followed her, sharing in her sin. And by doing this, they estranged themselves from God. They made themselves worthy of the punishment of death. God, however, was merciful. He severed the bond between them and the devil. He declared to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That was a declaration of war. It would be a war that would continue through the generations. The offspring of the devil would be those who live as enemies of God. The offspring of the woman would be those who live as children of God. What would make the difference between those two groups through the centuries? It would be the grace of God. He would reach out by the power of his word and spirit. He would continue to bring about the separation once announced to Satan. The struggle would have a deep spiritual dimension, but from time to time it would also be visible in physical confrontations. Think of the warfare the people of God had to engage in to take possession of the promised land. And today, the battle continues. We can't remain indifferent to it. There are clear and clearer signs of the divide between Christians and non-Christians, also here in Canada. Facing us are many unbelievers who use tolerance as their slogan while showing gross intolerance for viewpoints that are not in line with Scripture. Think of those who proclaim themselves to be pro-choice, but denounce those who think differently. There actually seems to be no choice at all in, the, in, the, in matters such as this, except for their own viewpoint. And what about people who are proponents of same-sex marriage? Many aren't satisfied with just having room to choose their own lifestyle. They want their choice to be approved and celebrated by all. Inevitably, they are hostile to those who see marriage as a God-given institution characterized by vows between a man and a woman. <clears throat> the social landscape has changed dramatically during the last decades. 
religious freedom is being undermined. And this is a process that will most likely continue. How can we stand our ground as Christians? We need to be aware of what we're up against. There are dark spiritual forces at work. Paul makes it clear in Ephesians 6 verse 11 that we are being confronted with the schemes of the devil. And he elaborates on what he means in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The devil and his angels are formidable opponents. They aren't just able to work through people around us. They can use our own evil inclinations against us. Our struggle, therefore, includes fighting battles within ourselves. And the Apostle Paul knew what it is to fight spiritual battles. He had come to believe in Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah, the King to whom not only Jews but all nations must be called to recognize and obey. And this brought him into conflict with the Jewish authorities. Confessing Jesus Christ as the King of Kings, the supreme ruler of the universe, was not something that would be popular with the Roman authorities either. And acknowledging the lordship of Jesus Christ is still a very countercultural thing to do. Life as a follower of Jesus is quite different than the lifestyle promoted by unbelievers. You can see that when you read the many admonitions in Paul's letters. He calls believers away from a life of sin to a new obedience to God. This is a life of self-denial involving faith and daily repentance. Paul doesn't say anywhere that Such a life is easy. As a matter of fact, he makes it clear that he has his own struggles against sin. Just read Romans 7 verse 18, where he confesses, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That's an acknowledgement of personal weakness and inability. But he has learned to look outside of himself for the help that he needs. Remember Romans 7, the verses 24 to 25. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is the apostle telling us? On the one hand, he makes it clear that, humanly speaking, there's no hope for victory against our personal sins. You may delight in the law of God and yet find yourself sinning against the same law. Our only hope can be found in Jesus Christ. He is our Savior and our Lord. Pray in his name for the forgiveness of sins. And also pray for strength and learn from Scripture how to struggle against sin. Our struggle is not hopeless. 
look at the big picture. Who is ultimately in control of our lives and our future? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He has overcome the power of sin and death. He arose triumphant from the grave. All authority in heaven and on earth has been entrusted to him. Our future is safe in his hands. He will complete his work of salvation in this world. Having given us grace, we may be confident that he will lead us to glory. People may oppose us. Our weaknesses make us vulnerable. The devil and the fallen angels with him are powerful adversaries. The tasks that the Lord lays upon us may seem like heavy burdens, impossible to bear. But there's no reason for despair. Pray and rely on Jesus Christ for help. Trust that he is with us through the Holy Spirit. Even if you still feel weak, move forward one step at a time and one day at a time. That's the way to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Note that Paul gives the command to be strong in the plural form. This is even clearer in the King James Version, which follows the majority of the Greek manuscripts. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul isn't writing to his readers as isolated individuals. He is addressing them together as a community of faith. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are called to fight the good fight of the faith together. <clears throat> Rely on the Lord to pull us through. He is able to do it. Be strong in the Lord could also be translated as become strong in the Lord. The apostle is referring to a process. How does this happen? One of the ways in which the Lord strengthens us is through the church as his body. He gives us the proclamation of the word through his ministers. Listen carefully. Think about the sermon. Take notes if this can help you to remember important points. Elders and deacons also come visiting. Be open with them about your doubts, your fears and struggles. That gives them the opportunity to offer encouragement and advice to strengthen you. There's also the interaction that we have with each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Support in our struggles comes in various ways. We can pray for each other if we're open with each other about the issues that we face. And we can also look out for each other. Are you active in this too? Do you support each other, especially when you see someone faltering? Do you reach out with encouraging words and deeds. That's something we all need at one time or another. 
mutual support and accountability are important. Those are some of the ways in which the Lord works to strengthen us. Be strong in the Lord. Trust in his strength. Also trust in his faithfulness. This is our second point. Discouragement comes when we feel alone in our struggles. People may fall short in giving support. But let's never forget that the Lord is with us. He is faithful. He has never turned repentant sinners away. Remember the compassion of our Savior showed during his ministry on earth. He reached out to the sick, the poor, and downtrodden. Those who looked to him for help found out how powerful he is. Think, for example, of the woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She believed that if she would even touch his garment, she would be made well. Her faith was not disappointed. The moment she reached out and touched his garment, the flow of blood stopped, and she knew she was healed. Our Savior continues to help those who turn to him in faith. Remember his words to his disciples in John 14, where he promises that the Holy Spirit will come, referring to him as another helper. Jesus is already our helper. As our helper, he has ascended into heaven, where he is now for our benefit at the right hand of the Father. And from there, he has poured out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to us from the Father and the Son and has been sent to be with the church forever, dwelling with us and in us. This is why Jesus can give the assurance to his followers, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Such truths won't help us unless we learn about them from Scripture and take them to heart. It's not enough just to know certain things about God. We need to believe what he says and let him guide us through our difficulties. Don't be discouraged by circumstances. Fall back on what God tells us about himself in his word. Pray for wisdom to know how to apply what he says to the difficulties and challenges that you face. Also ask for strength to avoid or fight against temptations in order to walk in his ways. That's also what our Lord Jesus Christ did. Remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion? He was the Son of God, perfect in every way. But he was also human, fully human. And he therefore prayed for strength to do God's will. That was how he remained obedient to the point of dying for us on the cross. As his followers, 
we too should be active in praying for what we need in our struggles and trusting that our faithful Savior and Lord will never abandon us. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The Apostle Paul wouldn't say this unless there is firm ground for hope that the Lord will strengthen us. We aren't in the spiritual battle alone. Even as a church, we aren't fighting alone either. Believers in Old Testament times were already called to rely on God's trustworthiness. Before battle, the priest was to encourage the people of God as follows. Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart be faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Note that the priest was called to give this assurance. The people knew they were sinful. Would God therefore not abandon them in their time of need? No, that wouldn't happen if they would turn to him and be reconciled to him through the ministry in the tabernacle and later in the temple. They could seek a restored relationship with God. Sacrifices could be brought to atone for their sins. The burnt offerings and peace offerings highlighted the fact that God is a forgiving God. We know this even more clearly in the light of Jesus Christ. Through faith in him as our Savior, we may rest assured that our God who calls us and justifies us will also glorify us. Our future is safe in his hands. And this means that our struggles will never be in vain. As Paul puts it in Romans 8 verse 31, If God is for us, who can be against us? And he continues with reassuring words that remind us of the faithfulness of our Savior. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. This is true even when Christians get slaughtered for their faith. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The love of our Savior assures us that he will use his might to give us what we need no matter what we have to face. If we fail, it's not because our Savior has been unfaithful. We have fallen short of our calling to look to him for guidance and strength. His word is clear. Stay focused on our Savior. 
learn to trust in him and to follow him. This is the way to break with sin and walk in his ways. By faith, we persevere in putting our sinful inclinations to death in order to live for him. Do you know how to overcome your sins? Learn to love him more than the sins that attract us. Keep this in mind. Learn to love him more than the sins that attract us. And so meditate on what a wonderful Savior we have. Read the Gospels and the other books of the Bible. Not just the New Testament. Also, read the Old Testament, the word from which our Savior derived instruction during his time on earth. Remember what he said to the Jews. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yes, the writings of the Old Testament point to Jesus as the Messiah and speak of his work. Those scriptures equipped him for his task. He is our chief prophet and teacher. He is the ultimate high priest and the Lamb of God, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Embrace the instruction of our Counselor and submit to his authority as our King. We read in 1 Chronicles 16 verse 11, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. That's a call to prayer. Not just occasional petitions, but a life of prayer. And when we put this into practice, we will be able to echo the words of David in Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. What a testimony to the faithfulness of the Lord, our God. He has given us Jesus Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. And trusting in Jesus Christ, we will find the help that we need. He strengthens us to fight the good fight of the faith. He also protects us when evil forces threaten to overwhelm us. And that gives us reason for joy. Keep on looking to him and remember to thank him when he supplies you with what you need. Amen. <clears throat>